0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. ...question any more than any others. It is the question which I shared with you a few moments ago. Brother Tom, how can I know if I am in the center of God's will? Or perhaps a prior question, How can I know God's will in the first place so that I might do it? Now, I must confess to you that I have not spent a great deal of time standing at a pinball machine, but I know how they work. And I can tell you quite honestly that I have seen many people in this world whose lives remind me of nothing more nor less than human pinballs they are moving as fast as they can, as far as they can, until they meet opposition. And upon meeting opposition of any kind, it might be financial opposition, it might be human criticism, it might simply be that there are obstacles or difficulties in doing what they are about. But when they meet opposition, then instead of going on, they simply react to that opposition And then they move in an opposite direction as fast as they can, as far as they can, until they meet opposition again. And life for them is spent as a reaction to opposition. It's a matter of deciding what you think is God's will, deciding what you want to do, asking God to bless it, and then just moving until you meet some kind of resistance. And I know I'm looking into the faces of some of you here this morning who would say, Brother Tom, more than anything else in all the world, I would like to know what it's like to live knowingly in the center of God's will, to be swept along in the wonderful will of God like a branch that is swept along in a powerful rushing current. I would like to know that I am going exactly where God wants me to be going with my life, doing exactly what God wants me to be doing with my life, doing what he wants, where he wants, the way he wants, in the spirit that he wants, with the motivation that he wants. Brother Tom, I would love to know that experience. But most of my life, I just spend stumbling around, trying to do what I think will please God, hoping that it does, making my plans, asking God to bless my plans, and then being very disappointed when they don't work out and trying to come up with another plan. Some of you here this morning would say, there have been occasions when I've been conscious that God was in something that I was doing, but they have been far too few and far too far apart. And so this morning, we're going to be thinking together on this subject, how to know the will of God or life in the center of God's will. Open your Bible now once again to the 23rd Psalm as we look at that wonderful Shepherd Psalm. And I believe you're going to be encouraged by what the Lord speaks by his spirit to your heart this morning. And I especially believe you're going to be encouraged by by what I would call in the close of this message, God's guarantee, because the scripture says that the shepherd will lead you in paths of righteousness because his reputation is at stake with how he deals with his children. Now, if you can say beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know... I am truly a child of God. I know I have been born again into his family. I know if I were to die, I would spend my eternity with him. I know that without any question. I know it not only intellectually, but I know it experientially. And brother Tom, I know it even spiritually because The Holy Spirit of God is just bearing witness with my spirit. I have an inward peace that I am truly a child of God. When I put my head on my pillow at night, I'm not troubled by thoughts of where I'll spend my eternity in the least because I know if I were to die before I would waken, I would spend my eternity in heaven. I would wake up with the Lord God. Now, if you can say that, if you can make that claim without any reservation this morning, then God has gone on record as saying that he will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I want to make three statements this morning, and I I pray that God will write these across your heart, whether you write them in the margin of your Bible, and your notebook there or not. uh, you, You may want to do that. I have been always amazed that people come to worship services. They want to hear something that's going to change their life for an eternity. They're not prepared to remember it past the benediction. And so I pray somehow that God will write these truths across your heart this morning. They all relate to living in the center of God's will. Now these are evidences. These are those things which will be a part of your life if you are in the center of God's will. So write them across your heart or there in the margin of your Bible. First of all, You will experience a relationship with Christ. Let me say it again. You will experience a relationship with Christ. Now, I have chosen the word experience and the word relationship very carefully and for a very important reason. In the first place, I want you to know that the Christian life is an experience. It is not just theory. It's not something that you simply analyze or criticize or theorize or that preachers sermonize about. The Christian life is an experience. I know I'm speaking to some of you this morning who would say, all that Christianity to me is to me is simply the subscription to a system or a creed or a, a, a statement of theology, and since I believe all the things Christians are supposed to believe, then I guess that makes me a Christian, not at all. The Christian life is an experience. God wants you to experience the reality of his presence day by day. He wants you to be in fellowship with him, and I know that sometimes there are those who say, well, we don't want to get real emotional about it. Well, why not? Why not? My emotions are as much a part of me as anything else as my body as my intellect I have emotions you have emotions and I'm not saying here that we ought to give way and let our emotions lead us but I want to tell you this the Christian life is an experience I think the world is tired of that kind of sterile puerile dried up religion which says you may be God's chosen people but you can also be God's frozen people you just come to church and you sit in your pew and you say, well, I'm going to do all the things that religious people are supposed to do. My friend, that simply will not wash. The world is tired of it, and the world ought to be tired of it because the Christian life is an experience to be lived out. And I've said here that you will experience a relationship with Christ. Once again, the Christian life is a relationship. It's not so much subscribing to facts as it is submitting to the Father. The Christian life is is not so much a matter of saying, well, I believe in a system as it is saying, I put my trust in a Savior. The Christian life is not just holy speech. The Christian life is living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It is a relationship. And once again, I believe there are those who say, well, I must be a Christian because I have all the facts and I spend all my time with people who say that they are Christians. But my friend, listen, if you are in the center of God's will, you will experience a relationship with the Lord Jesus. There is a wonderful lady in this auditorium this morning who deserves your appreciation. For as of yesterday, Jeannie has been married to this galoot for 22 years years now that takes a, that that takes a lot now i want to tell you to stay married to me for 22 years is a it's a remarkable feat you know i knew a lot about the theory of marriage before i was married married now i want to tell you something you've got to be married to know what it's all about you can talk about it you can teach about it i know of people who've never been married who spend hours telling people how married people ought to live but there's something about the marriage experience which defies the explanation and the understanding of anyone who has not been married to a wonderful Christian lady whose heart's desire is to be a woman whose heart follows God, a truly virtuous woman. It's an experience. And I'll tell you, you have to be one to know what it's all about. And the same thing is true of the Christian life. Some of you folks here will say, well, if you could just explain it to me, how it is, uh, what you do, Well, friend let me tell you something it's just a matter of having to be one before you can know about it when you come to Jesus and you put your trust in Jesus alone as your savior you will discover that it is an experience and it is a relationship that begins at your conversion and extends throughout all eternity now with this in mind you see the psalmist said this he leadeth me do you see that personal relationship there he and me. He leadeth me. Now, I want to make two observations, and I would say quite honestly that if you are in the center of God's will, there are two words which will describe you perfectly. The first word is fellowship. Fellowship. He, me. That is, I am in fellowship with the shepherd. I think it's interesting that you can have a relationship with the Lord without being in fellowship with the Lord. There are many people here who say, well, I know I'm saved, if I died, I'd go to heaven. But you would say, quite honestly, I also know that I am not living in the center of God's will. I also know that God is dealing with me. He's bringing conviction to my heart because I am out of God's will. He hasn't got his hand of blessing on me, on my life, or on my ministry, or on my family not because I don't have a relationship with him, but because I do not have fellowship with him. And if you want to see a perfect picture of that, you would look over in Luke's Gospel and there read about the prodigal son. Jesus told about a lost coin, about lost sheep, interestingly enough, and then about the lost son. Now, a lot of things changed in that parable. His economic situation changed. His geography changed. His attitude changed. His friends changed. One thing never did change. And that was that he was always the Son of the Father. That relationship was established. But most of the time, as Jesus told about it in that parable, most of the time while he had the relationship of being the Son of the Father, he did not have fellowship with the Father. And I know I'm speaking to some of you this morning whose heart is convicting you as God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're saying, that's me. I'm saved. I know that I'm saved, but one of the obvious evidences that I am not in the center of God's will is that I am lacking in that conscious sense of fellowship with the Lord right now. I just don't sense that my heart and the heart of my Lord are one, beating at the same time right now. I cannot say that I am out after, hot after those same things that the Lord is after. I have my own plans. I have my own ways. I have my own design. But if you are in the center of God's will, the word fellowship will describe the experiential relationship which you have with Christ. There is a second word which will describe your life, and that is the word fellowship. Not only he, me, but he leadeth me. His faithful follower, we sung just a few moments ago, his faithful follower I will be, for by his hand he leadeth me. And one of the reasons that there are people here in this auditorium this morning who would say quite honestly, although I'm a Christian, I am not in the center of God's will, I lack that conscious sense of fellowship, is because you move from the position of fellowship. You begin to say, Lord, these are my plans, and they're good plans, and if you cause them to succeed, I'm going to bless you and bless your work in a big way. And so here I go, Lord, hang on for the ride. My friend, that is not a position of fellowship. Some of you have said, well, I don't have God's clear-cut sense, but I'm going to buy that. I don't have God's clear sense of leadership, but I'm going to invest in that. I don't consciously sense that God wants this, but I'm going to go ahead and get married or I'm going to go ahead and sign up. These are my plans. These are my designs for my life. I just can't wait for the Lord to speak. I mean, decisions have to be made. I've got to buy that. I've got to get the show on the road. Here we go. We're going to do it. Lord, I sure hope you're in on this. And most of us would confess to spending most of our time making our plans rather than finding God's plans, and then simply asking God to put his hand of blessing on them. Now, friend, that is not a position of followship. He leadeth me. Now, let me ask you this question. Can you say quite honestly what I'm doing, that thing or those things toward which I am giving my life, those issues which are on my heart, the manner of life which I am living right now, I have been led to live consciously by the Lord Jesus as I have sought his will through his word by his Holy Spirit. I am in on what God wants me in on right now. Or would you say, I don't know, I never asked God what I was supposed to do. I never asked the Lord where I was supposed to go. I never asked him about his will for my life. I just assumed that because I had always thought that this was what God wanted me to do and it never occurred to me to check up with God. There are probably some people in this auditorium to whom the Lord is speaking about significant changes in your life, perhaps entering into some kind of ministry or perhaps changing geographical locations, maybe going to some obscure corner of this world and pouring out your life for the gospel. But you'll never hear that, friend, unless you are in a position of fellowship. Now, if you're in the center of God's will, you will experience a relationship with Christ and you will be conscious of the fact that you are in fellowship with him and you will deliberately put yourself in a position of fellowship. To him and so you will experience a relationship with Christ let me ask you this question can you say right now as you sit here in this worship service I am experiencing I, I knowingly I mean I am conscious of it I am right now experiencing that relationship with Christ and it is marked out with both fellowship and fellowship." now you can say that if you are in the center of God's will because the Shepherd said he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake now notice what else the psalmist says here in the 23rd psalm he says you will enjoy the resources of Christ one of the ways you can know that you are within the will of the Lord is that there in the will of God you enjoy the resources of Christ not just a relationship with him but you will enjoy the resources of Christ one of the great faith missions began many years ago, the China Inland Mission, which is now the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, was founded by Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor who said, look, I'll go if you folks will just hold the rope." Hudson Taylor who went over and literally was swallowed up in the guts of that vast continent. Hudson Taylor who depended simply upon the Lord God as his source of supply. But Hudson Taylor said it in this fashion, He said, God's work done God's way will receive what? God's supply. Now, one of the reasons that so many people in this auditorium and around the world, all of us, experience strain so often in terms of supply is that we quite simply are not involved in doing God's work or if we're involved in doing God's work, we're not doing it God's way because God's work, as Hudson Taylor said, done God's way will receive God's supply. Now, it's not just Hudson Taylor who said that. That's not Hudson Taylor's theology, therefore we subscribe to it. Hudson Taylor was simply verifying, uh, he was simply verbalizing what the Scripture says. For instance, the Apostle Paul said, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He is all sufficiency in all things. Over in that tenth chapter of John's Gospel, that beautiful chapter where Jesus lets us in on the fact that he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep, he said in this fashion, he said, the thief, now that is Satan, comes but for to kill and to steal and destroy, to take something from you. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, literally filled to overflowing. Now, if you are in the center of God's will, you will enjoy the resources of Christ. Now, perhaps you can see this better if you understand how... The psalmist, David, looking back on his experiences of being a shepherd of sheep, understood the needs of sheep. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Did you know that it is not the nature of sheep to move from particular grazing spots? Did you know that unless they are literally led out of that spot by a shepherd, that they will stay there in that one spot until they die they'll grow skinny they will begin to grow thirsty and finally because of the parasites in the ground they'll die sheep just love to go over the same old paths all the time i mean that's just that's just the way they do they will turn a path into a ditch which will finally wash out into a gully if they are just left to their own they do not want they'll find a place they like the setting they like the sunlight. They like the, uh, the way the breeze blows, and they just won't move. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that the, the, the cowboys always hated the shepherds with their sheep was because sheep left on their own will absolutely devastate a beautiful green pasture. How will they do this? They will chew the grass right down off at the roots, and then they'll get up in the morning if you don't move them, And they will literally pull those roots out of the ground and eat the roots so that after a while there is no grass in that pasture. Only those things which grow as weeds and other vegetation gives forth its pollen and uh, and begin to settle into the ground, germinate, then the, the field is ruined. Not only that, because the sheep stay there, that ground also will become polluted and they will begin to re-ingest the very parasites which have come from their body, and ultimately they will die. What a picture of God's sheep. We don't like to move. We don't like to change. We'll find us a little comfortable spot and we'll settle into it. This is my routine. This is my pattern. This is my pew. Well, when we moved over here to this new building about two and a half, three years ago, it was so disconcerting. I watched you folks moving around like a bunch of hound dogs with your nose in the air, looking for your spot. I mean, just circling, circling for weeks, just looking for your spot to plop down. Why? Well, you just weren't accustomed to it. But interestingly enough, we are given to resisting progress. Did you know? that the normal response of God's people to something new is no. I mean, we just don't like progress. We don't like new schedules. We don't like new things. We don't like new people. We don't like anything new. We want to stay on those paths till the paths become ditches and the ditches begin to be washed out gullies and we begin to get sickly and we begin to dry up. And I'm speaking to some folks who would say, you know, it is that way in my heart right now. I feel as if I'm still chewing over the same old things I've heard for years. I don't know that I have actually taken in one new spiritual truth in months or years, and I'm sure that I'm not operating at a level that is even more deeply spiritual than it was a year ago or two years ago or ten years ago. I'm just content to turn my path to a ditch, to a gully, and stay here until I die. Well, let me tell you something, friends. God has made a commitment to you. He sent a shepherd who will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it may be a little uncomfortable. It may be a little disconcerting. You may have to go through some real stretches and strains and difficulties. Some of you are going through that right now economically, some emotionally, some of you spiritually. Some of you actually physically are going through stresses and strains and you're saying, God, if you love me, you wouldn't let this happen to me. But the truth of the matter is, your good shepherd is saying, because I love you, I've got to move you somehow. I've got to get you to a place where the grass is more verdant and where the environment is not killing to you spiritually. So how does he do this? How does he do this? Well, let's just look at a couple of words that will describe this wonderful way that the Lord has of getting us to enjoy His resources. There are two conclusions I want to share with you. First of all, if you are in the center of God's will, you will experience progress. There'll be progress in your life. Seated down here is my spiritual pal. We meet together now once a week. We used to meet every day. We meet once a week just sort of to check up on each other. We were talking about this. In his wife, Gene and I were over a a good piece of steak, as a matter of fact, earlier this week. We were talking about the fact that so often we meet people who are restless. They say, you know, I've just got to do something else. I've got to move. I've got to get with it. I'm just restless. I'm just restless. And and we both understood this same conclusion. That is that many times that which expresses itself in terms of outer restlessness is really... A need to change your internal geography, not your external geography. You don't need to move to a new place, a new house, buy a new thing, or drive a new thing. What you need to do is to establish new territory in your heart with the Lord Jesus. And so there will be progress in your relationship with the Lord. You'll be growing. You'll be multiplying. You'll be stretching. You will be moving out. There will be progress. I love the statement of those four leprous men we read about in 2 Kings Chapter seven. Do you remember them? Samaria was drying up. They were in famine. They were actually practicing cannibalism. God's people, if you can imagine it, had reached that kind of desperation. Outside, Ben Hadad had all the resources. He had shut off the supply to the city of Samaria. Seated at the gate of Samaria were four men filled with leprosy. And that'll give you an amazing amount of common sense. They said, "Why do we sit here till we die? If we go in there, we're going to die for sure. If we go out there, they might kill us." But since they've got all the food, they might let us eat before we die. I mean, we might at least get, you know, we might live. They might let us live. And so they went out to the camp, and you remember what happened? God had provided for the deliverance of the Samaritans as a matter of uh, the Samarians. All those folks, as a matter of fact, didn't know it, but they were already delivered. They were just waiting for somebody to tell them because God had made a sound coming the night, and the Ben-Hadad and all of his troops thought that, The Israelites had hired the Egyptians and they got up and they ran and left everything. I mean, boots, shirts, everything, gold, clothing, food, drink, animals, everything in their tent. And the only people who knew about it were these four leprous men. And they got out there and they did like most of us, you know. They, They ate everything they could and they drank everything they could and they put on everything they could. They took the gold and went out and dug it in a hole. And they ran back for another Bible conference, another seminar. Oh, excuse me, I'm into the application already. Uh, They got a little bit more, and then they ran back. You know what they kept doing? Getting and digging a hole and plowing it under Getting and digging a hole and hiding it. You know, I've, I've met people who do that. They go from one tent to the other. They've got everything from everybody, and it's all stored on their bookcase. And when you go to their house, look how spiritual I am. I have all these wedges of gold that I've gotten. But one of those leprous men had a lot more common sense than the others, He said, gentlemen, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief is going to come upon us. We better get out and get busy telling the good news. And I want to tell you something. There are people here who perhaps could say, look, I have gone to all kinds of seminars, all kinds of conferences. I've learned all kinds of truth. My problem is I'm not doing anything. My friend, if you're in the center of God's will, there will be progress. You say, Brother Tom, what about waiting on the Lord? You won't misunderstand waiting on the Lord. The root in the Hebrew for waiting means to wrap yourself around so that the, the direction of your life is controlled by the direction of the one around whom you have wrapped yourself. And it means literally to so wrap yourself around God, always facing him, that you are moving because he is moving. If you don't believe that... Read what the Lord told Isaiah. He said, they that wait shall what? Twiddle their thumbs? Rock from one foot to the other? No. They who wait shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, if you are in the center of God's will, dear friend, you are making progress. You are making progress. Now, how long has it been since you were conscious that you were literally moving spiritually in your life? All right, there's another statement here that I must make, and that is that you will experience his provision you will experience his provision. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The whole reason he is leading you in paths of righteousness is because as you are moving along in the path, that's progress, you will discover that they are paths of righteousness, that's provision, where that which you receive from God is beginning to feed you. It is beginning to feed you. Now let me give you an illustration of this. You see, God deals with us at every level. He will supply your every need physically. Not necessarily your every desire, but He will supply your every need physically. He will also supply your need soullessly. That's your intellect. He will give you those things you need to know emotionally, the experiences you need to have volitionally. He'll deal with your will. He works within us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. But more than that, and I think this is of utmost importance, He will begin to meet your need in your spirit. Not just soul food, my friends but actual spirit food. That is where you, as you feed upon the Word of God and God's Holy Spirit ministers to you, you begin to sense that you are literally growing spiritually and that every need you have is being met by the Lord. How many times I've talked with people who said, I didn't think I could go through this situation, Brother Tom. Maybe it was a loss of a friend. Maybe it was a dissolution of a corporation. Perhaps it was the loss of a job. I didn't think it would ever get to this. I didn't ever think I'd have to go through this. But now that I'm here, I am discovering as I spend time in the Word of God that God is daily feeding my spirit. I'm not only making progress, in other words, I am seeing that every need in my life is being met. Now let me ask you this question. Are you conscious of progress? You will be if you're in the center of God's will. Secondly, do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, do you sense God meeting every need of your life? Or is what generally comes out of your mouth a complaint that you have need? I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough of that. I don't feel enough of that. They don't give enough of this. They, or, let me ask you this question. If, don't you believe, if you're in the center of God's will, dear friend, that he will supply your every need? Now, you can get over on your own path. Don't expect him to parachute resources into you on your own path. He doesn't intend to feed you on your own path, but he will feed you in his path of righteousness. Now, one final statement and I believe, dear friend, this could be the most important statement that you'll hear this morning. We've said first of all, you will experience a relationship with Christ, you will experience that fellowship and that fellowship. Secondly, we've said that you will enjoy the resources of Christ. There'll be progress in your life and provision in your life. But finally could I say that you will establish the reputation of Christ? You will establish the reputation, of Christ. I've not met too many people who cared much about that. That is, not really cared about how others saw God in them. I, I've met a lot of people who are concerned about how God looked to them. But I've not met a whole lot of people who said, you know, I'm very sensitive to the fact that, that my life somehow is to bring glory to God. Now listen again to this verse. He leadeth me, that's the relationship which I will experience, in paths of righteousness, those are the resources which I'll enjoy. Listen to this. For his name's sake. You see, that's the reputation which I must establish, and he will establish in me. Why does God do this? In order to establish his reputation. That is, for his name's sake. Uh, let's go back once again to the experience of a shepherd with his sheep. How does a shepherd get a good reputation as being a shepherd? I'll tell you how, by taking good care of his sheep. If a shepherd gets up every morning and thinks nothing about where those sheep are going to graze, if a shepherd never goes out and prepares that deep, still running water, if a shepherd never gives them opportunity to restore their soul, if the shepherd is never, never there to protect them, if he just simply says, hey, sheep, this is the place, go at it as best you can, get what you want to get. you know what happens? One of these days, the other shepherds around will come and say, I saw one of your sheep over there. He's a little sickly looking, a little puny looking. Uh, they look a little diseased. Would you keep your sheep away from my sheep? I'm sorry, we can't, we can't tend these sheep together anymore. Don't, don't put them in the same cave and build a fire at the mouth of that cave of the night. I don't want my sheep to be with your sheep because my, your sheep are... Sickly, and my sheep are healthy. Everything that concerns the reputation of the shepherd is based on the way he cares for his sheep. Now, how does the Lord Jesus get the reputation he has in this world by the way he's taken care of his sheep? And isn't it interesting that in spite of the fact that we don't cooperate very much? We're like a bunch of old rams that always go around butting heads and shoving other people around and trying to get our own thing thing going. Isn't it amazing that after 2,000 years, the good shepherd still has a good reputation in this world, that the Lord Jesus still is seen as the King of kings, the Prince of Peace, why he's still seen as the one who can supply every need of our lives. And when people finally get desperate enough to say, now I need the real change, I need the big change, They don't go to the world for that. They come to the Lord Jesus. Isn't it amazing? He still has that kind of reputation in spite of the way we have behaved as sheep. Why? Because of the way he has taken care of us in spite of ourselves. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord Jesus, he's saying, has a lot at stake in how he cares for his children. Now, there are a couple of things I want you to see. First of all, He guarantees his attention. His attention to you is guaranteed. He's not going to take his eyes off of you. He, watching over Israel, the Scripture says, never slumbers nor sleeps. Now, sometimes his attention involves discipline. Sometimes it involves delight. Sometimes it involves deliverance. But he will pay attention to you. Sometimes he has to take a sheep out. Did you know that? You talk to a shepherd, they'll say, you know, I have just an incorrigible sheep. I mean, it just persisted. I tried everything I could for a year or two to change the behavior of that sheep, but it was so in him, I mean, I just had to take that sheep out. This would be like the sin unto death which a Christian can commit. Just an open-handed, defiant attitude toward the will and the way of the Lord, so much so that the Lord Jesus finally says, well, you're one of my sheep, but I'm going to have to take you out of this earthly flock right now because you are no good for the reputation of God and his work. That's the sin unto death we read about in the Scripture. This open-handed, it's not a specific sin, it's an open-handed, defiant attitude regarding any sin. You see, I will do this, God, no matter what. That's the sheep the shepherd has to deal with. But what I want you to see is he will pay attention to you. He's paying attention to you right now. He has got his eyes on you. Is it possible that the very extremities of your life, the exigencies of your situation... The strains and the stresses which you are griping about are simply the nudges of your good shepherd saying, listen, friend, you have got to move spiritually. There has got to be progress, and you will not find my provision until you move and stay on the path with me. And all the time you're saying, no, I don't want to do that. God, if you really loved me, if you really cared about me, you would let all these hard things fall to me. And the truth of the matter is he's saying, I'm just paying attention to you. I can remember saying to the Lord on occasion we were over there in Africa, Lord, why is it that you have asked me to come clear to the other side of the world as a missionary? And now this city is under curfew and I can't travel at night and I just have to be here with my family and reading the scripture and one day I awaken to the fact that God was giving me the two things which I had been asking him for for years. Lord, Somehow I've got to find more time for my family and more time in your word. And I was complaining all the time. Lord, why are we under curfew? Why are these soldiers there? Why do they say they're going to shoot you if you go out of your house? And, you, Lord, this doesn't make sense. And God was simply saying, I am leading you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. And so he's paying attention to you. His attention is guaranteed. But let me tell you this. Your affections must be Godward. While his attention is guaranteed, your affection Godward. They must be toward the Lord himself. What does the scripture say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Tell you what a good Christian you are, no. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes this choir sings, oh, come, let us magnify the Lord. You know what it means to magnify something? It means to, to take an object and through the lens, Make it look bigger. Do you understand what that's saying? That's saying your life is a lens through which other people look at the Lord Jesus. And that lens may either be convex or concave. But my friends, if you're turned in the wrong direction, people will look at God through your life and he'll look like a mighty small God. But if you turn your life toward the Lord in the right fashion, that position of fellowship and fellowship, people will look through the lens of your life and say, my, what a big God he is. Your affections must be toward the Lord God. Let me ask you a question. When people look at the Lord through your life, do they see him as a big God? Or do they see him as the object of your complaint? Do they see him as some kind of divine bellhop? And you as an irritated believer who just can't seem to get what he wants when he wants and how he wants it? What kind of a reputation for Christ are you establishing? How many of the resources of Christ are you enjoying? How much of a relationship with Christ are you experiencing? You see, all of those are evidences of being in the center of God's will. Now, let me ask you a question. Where are you? The second question, are you ready to come home and get on the path? so that he can lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Father in heaven, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit now moving in power would stir through this auditorium and bring people to say yes, yes to you. There's so many here who need direction, who need to know they're in the center of your will, who need a relationship with you and to enjoy the resources which you offer and to be a part of that great worldwide testimony that you're a great Savior. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bind up every spirit of unbelief and loose upon us right now this morning, a spirit of faith toward you, deep conviction, a boldness to say yes. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious and saving name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me simply say we've come to invitation time just now. Your personal invitation to come to the Lord Jesus, to say yes to him. Many of you would say, Brother Tom, the one thing I'm missing in my life is that personal relationship with Jesus. I know the facts, but I can't say that I've ever really met him and know him personally as my savior. That is that I'm conscious of his living within me just now. And Brother Tom, I want that so badly. My dear friend, you can have that. Could I ask you this question? If you died, do you have the confidence you'd spend your eternity in heaven? Suppose you did die. Life is so fragile. You were standing before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you answer? You said, well, you really can't know. Oh, yes, you can. The scripture says, these things are written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know so? My friend, before this service is over, you can know that. You can know that. If I ask this morning, all over this auditorium, for those who said, I know that I've been born again, I have God's gift of eternal life, if I ask you to raise your hand, many people, hundreds of people, across this auditorium would raise their hands. My friend, perhaps you'd be so bold and you'd be a person of such integrity that you'd say, well, I can't lie. I'll not raise my hand. But in your heart of hearts, you say, I want to know that. I want to know that. Well, listen, dear friend, you can know that before this service is over. That's right. This can be the biggest day in all of your eternity. I want to challenge you to make it that, a red-letter day in all of eternity on the calendar of your life. And I challenge you this morning to make it Just that. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And John said, As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Even to them who believe on his name. For you see, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages are the result of sin is death. But listen, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You say, Well, how can I have that gift of God? See personally trusting him and him alone. As your savior not some ritual not some sacrament but a savior i'm putting my trust in a person i want to experience that relationship with jesus this morning in a few moments i'm going to pray we're going to stand the choir is going to begin singing the moment they begin singing as a part of standing i want to urge you to step to this aisle make your way forward there's some counselors here take one of them by the hand and say something this simple i want to trust in jesus today just that simple i want to trust in jesus today They'll go with you to a quiet counseling room, visit with you, pray with you, give you some information to speed you on your way, and you can leave knowing Christ as your Savior. Forgiveness of sin, cleansing, abundant life, eternal life, it's all yours for trusting in Christ. Listen, friend, would you make that decision? Make this the biggest day of your life for eternity. Say yes to Christ this morning. Now, others of you need to make other decisions. Some need to join this church, this families or individuals. Others of you here need to openly confess Christ through the symbol of baptism. Still others need to come and answer God's call to your life. Well, dear friend, I challenge you. Have you decided for Jesus this morning? I want to be on his path, for he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Come get on that path. Come home this morning to the Lord. I challenge you. Father in heaven, now as we bow before you, how we pray once again in the name of Jesus, by the authority of your word and because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross that you would bind up every spirit of unbelief. And Father, I pray that you would release upon us now a spirit of faith. I pray, Heavenly Father, you'd give courage and boldness and decisiveness, remembering that if a man knows what is right and does it not, to him it is sin. For, Lord, there are many who know exactly what is right. I pray they'd say yes to you this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' precious and matchless and saving name, amen. Let's stand together. God bless you.